A video version of this podcast is available at AboundingJoy.com and also on our YouTube pages. Hey, my name's Steve Hall, and I want to thank you for joining our Bible study today. Before we get into today's Bible study, I would like to invite you to come to check out our Standing Firm Bible Study class in person. We're at Fairview Baptist Tabernacle in Sweetwater, Tennessee. We meet in the downstairs fellowship hall of the auditorium building at 10.15 a.m. on Sunday mornings immediately after the 9 o'clock worship service. Here's a little map for you. See the little red lines? Notice if you're in the auditorium, just follow those red arrows. If you're in the back, go straight down that hallway behind you to the stairwell. If you're near the front of the auditorium, you can go out the left door, and I mean left as you're sitting in the auditorium looking toward the pulpit and the choir, go to your left, go out that door, all the way down to the end of the hall, keep to your left, all the way down to the stairwell, then turn right and go down the stairwell. We meet in the fellowship hall around the tables near the kitchen downstairs. If you have trouble with stairs, there are men driving golf carts near the entrance to the auditorium building at the crossover there who will be glad to give you a ride to a door that enters the building on our level, so you won't have to do any steps at all. We're a co-educational class, men and women both invited. We're for all ages, doesn't matter how old or how young. Children and youth are certainly welcome, but some children and youth actually prefer to go to the children and youth classes, which meet at the same time we meet, more on their level. Dress, totally casual. Class members are certainly encouraged to participate in the Bible study, ask questions, engage in conversation. But listen, if you happen to be kind of shy, we promise we're not going to embarrass you. We're not going to ask you to read. We're not going to ask you to pray. We're not going to ask you any specific questions directed to you. It isn't unusual for class members who are kind of shy just to not say anything at all once class gets started. So that's your choice. So I'm just saying, please don't feel intimidated if you happen to be the shy type. I know sometimes the first meeting is kind of tough for the shy people. But there's never been a time when it's been more important for God's people to meet in small Bible study fellowship groups in order to encourage each other. We've got to stand firm in his truth. We've got to stand firm on his word. These are very confusing days we're living in. You know that. So we'd love for you to join us and just see for yourself what God's doing in our class. If you'd like more information... Go to AboundingJoy.com. There's the web address right there on the screen. You can click on the Standing Firm Bible Class menu item when you get there. You may want to hit pause right now or do a screen save to get make sure you get the spelling right, but you can learn more information about us there. Now, here's today's Bible study. I hope and pray it helps you grow stronger in our Lord Jesus Christ and in your knowledge of His Word and of His will for your life. Well, hey guys, thanks for joining me in Bible study again today. We are back in Romans chapter 5. I believe this is our sixth study from this very important, but in some ways very difficult chapter of God's Word. And we're not going to finish it today. We've got a few more studies we're going to do before we uh, get through digging into this exciting truth that God gives us here in chapter 5 and then in chapter 6, and then it just keeps going in Romans. It's pretty awesome. I hope you're going to stay with us and persevere as we work our way through this really powerful and important part of God's Word. If I counted this correctly, also, I think it's our 27th study since we began working our way through this incredible book of Romans. I may have miscounted that, but somewhere close. It would have been so good if we could have done the previous two studies 
and this current study we're doing today, all in one sitting. It's really one study. I just kind of artificially divided it into three parts and wish we could have done it all together, but that would make it a little bit too long, a little too tedious, a little too heavy. And we've already seen that we're dealing with truths in these verses, these passages that are not easy to understand, but as we get a better grasp on them, as we begin to understand what God's teaching us here in these verses, continuing on down through chapter 8 especially, it has the power, I mean, God's Word's powerful, and it has the power to bring us genuine personal revival, uh, a closer walk with the Lord, uh, a thrill and excitement about what God's done. He's given us some very wonderful and powerful truth in these verses. But in order to get it, uh, we've got to discipline ourselves. We've got to be mentally disciplined. We've got to work at it. We've got to try to understand it. Uh, God, that's God's plan. That's God. That's the way God created us. He wants us to dig into his word and put some energy into it. So let's read this whole passage one more time and see what God has for us today. Remember, this is God's word. Therefore, just as through one man sin entered into the world and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin's not imputed when there's no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam until Moses, even over those who had not sinned in the likeness of the offense of Adam, who is a type of him who was to come. But the free gift is not like the transgression. For if by the transgression of the one the many died, much more did the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abound to the many. And the gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned, for on the one hand the judgment arose from one transgression resulting in condemnation, but on the other hand the free gift arose from many transgressions resulting in justification." For if by the transgression of the one death reigned through the one, much more those who receive the abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. So then as through one transgression there resulted condemnation to all men, even so through one act of righteousness there resulted justification of life to all men. For as through the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, even so, through the obedience of the one, the many will be made righteous. And the law came in that the transgression might increase. But where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, that as sin reigned in death, even so grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. You may remember when we began looking at this section of Scripture, it's been a few weeks ago now, the purpose of this entire section is to show us that our relationship to Adam was the same kind of relationship as our relationship to Christ. We were all in Adam, but now we are in Christ if we have received him into our lives as our personal Lord and Savior. As we were all related to Adam by nature, so all of us who are Christians are related to Jesus Christ by grace. It's important that we keep the overall purpose of this passage in mind as we look at the details, because if not, we'll be confused. Then we took one session to examine that little phrase at the end of verse 12, three little words, because all sinned. Because all sinned. 
And we saw how those words are explained in the parenthesis the Holy Spirit led Paul to insert right after that in verses 13 and 14. We began looking at the evidence that God's giving us here that when Adam sinned, we, because we were in Adam as the head of the human race, when he sinned, we sinned too. We became guilty of sin so that when we're born, we're actually born into this world guilty of sin. We all sinned in Adam. Now, of course, we don't need to take time to go over all that evidence again this morning. But if you missed that study, either of those earlier studies, I would really encourage you to go to the playlist on YouTube and watch those two studies, maybe even before you finish this one. But these three studies are really dependent on each other. So if you miss one of them, you miss an important link, an important part in understanding this whole picture. So today we're going to spend some time considering the way in which we're related to Adam, how we're related to Adam. And then after we understand that a little bit better, we'll turn our attention to the similarities and the contrast between Adam and our Lord Jesus Christ. First, let's consider once again this matter of our being guilty because of Adam's sin. When Adam sinned, we sinned in him. How do we explain this? In what sense were we in Adam? What does that mean? Well, there are basically two senses that we were in Adam. In one sense, we were in Adam biologically, physically. Because every human being who's ever been born is a descendant of our common ancestor, our forefather Adam, all of us. <laughs> so in that sense, we were all in Adam. The Bible might say it this way. We were in Adam's loins. We were in his loins. In our day, we might say we were in his DNA, but we were in Adam. There's a fascinating passage of scripture in Hebrews chapter 7 that helps us understand what this means. In Hebrews 7, God's teaching us about the importance and significance of a man called Melchizedek. Have you done that study before? It's a fascinating study. God reminds us that after Abraham rescued Lot from the four kings, you remember Lot and his family had been captured at the Battle of Sidim, and Abraham, the patriarch, uh, rescued him. And after that, he paid a tithe to Melchizedek. God rec records that for us in Genesis chapter 14. By the way, Melchizedek's name meant king of righteousness. He's also, we're also told he was king of Salem, which later become Jerusalem. That means literally king of peace. He's also called priest of the most high God. And yet he wasn't not an Israelite, but he was obviously a very, very significant man. We don't have time to get into all of this now, but it's a fascinating study. What we need to realize now is Abraham paid him a tithe of all the spoils of the battle. Now, you may remember that Abraham was the father of Isaac. Remember that? And you may remember that Isaac was the father of Jacob. And Jacob was the father of the 12 tribes of Israel. And you may remember that God chose one of those 12 tribes from which all the priests of Israel would come. That was the tribe of Levi. So Abraham was Isaac's father. Abraham was Jacob's grandfather. And Abraham was Levi's great-grandfather. And God gave Levi and his descendants, the descendants of Levi, the right and the responsibility to receive tithes from the people to carry on God's work. But of course, when Abraham paid a tithe to Melchizedek, Levi had not been born yet. In fact, Levi's dad, Jacob, had not been born yet. In fact, Levi's grandfather, Isaac, had not even been born yet. Abraham's son had not been born at this point in time. 
So with all that in mind, let's just read that passage from Hebrews chapter 7. I want you to see something here. We'll begin at verse 4. See how great this man was to whom Abraham the patriarch gave a tenth of the spoils? And those descendants of Levi who received the priestly office have a commandment in the law to take tithes from the people, that is, from the brothers, though these also are descended from Abraham. But this man, who does not have his descent from them, received tithes from Abraham and blessed him who had the promises. It's beyond dispute that the inferior is blessed by the superior. In the one case, tithes are received by mortal men, but in the other case, by one of whom it is testified that he lives. One might even say that Levi himself, who receives tithes, paid tithes through Abraham. Look at verse 10. For he was still in the loins of his ancestor when Melchizedek met him. You hear what he's saying? He's saying Levi paid a tithe to Melchizedek before he was even born, many years before he was born, because he was in the loins of his ancestor Abraham. Well, in that same sense, all of us, all of us, were in the loins of our ancestor Adam when he sinned, so we sinned in him. Just as when Abraham paid a tithe to Melchizedek, Levi also paid a tithe in Abraham. So, you, you get it? You see it? There's a sense that all of his descendants, that's all of us, were in his loins when Adam sinned. But there's a greater sense as well. It's not the only way. Because Adam was established by God himself to be the representative of all his descendants. God made Adam the head of the human race. Because of that, all of Adam's descendants would receive the blessings of his obedience or the punishment for his disobedience. Now, we talked about this some last time. I'm not going to repeat what I tried to communicate last time because when we look at something like this and think about things like this, some of us think that just doesn't seem right, that doesn't seem fair, and we'll find ourselves judging God. But we don't need to go there and talk about that again, but you may need to go back and watch that. I hope you remember it. But it's really important that when we don't understand things because they're kind of difficult, that we not fall into the trap of trying to judge God and decide that we know better than God does. But here's another analogy that might help a little bit. I looked this up the other day. Our current national debt in the United States of America is something around $31 trillion. That's trillion with a T. $31 trillion. It's unimaginably huge, but it turns out to be approximately $100,000 for every citizen of this country and approximately a quarter of a million dollars for every taxpayer of this country. <laughs> There's a scary internet page called the Debt Clock, if you'd like to check out those numbers. It's scary because the numbers are so big. Uh, it's amazing. It's, it's mind-boggling. And I don't see how it can go on much longer. But listen, you and I didn't individually acquire that debt, did we? But you and I are responsible for it. It's our debt. Men who represent us did that for us. <laughs> I owe my $100,000. My wife owes her $100,000. You owe your $100,000. We have an eight-year-old granddaughter, McKinsley. She owes her $100,000. We all owe $100,000. Why? I didn't ask for that. <laughs> you know, I want to think about this. If our president, Joe Biden, insults the president of Russia, Vladimir Putin, 
or maybe the president of China, Xi Jinping, and Vladimir Putin or Xi Jinping decides to declare war on us, you and I didn't do anything personally to get us into that war, but we're part of a nation that President Biden represents. We find ourselves at war, whether we agree or not, whether we like it or not. Now, I know that's not a perfect illustration, but maybe it helps us get a little bit of understanding of the way things work. You know, this is just how things are, because our relationship to Adam is like that. We're not only in him in a physical sense, we were in him in the sense that he was appointed by God to be the head of our race, our human race. By the way, this may also help us understand why God talks about Adam here instead of Eve. You know, some people say, wait a minute, Eve's the one that sinned first, but Adam was the first one to sin. Of course he was. We know it was Eve. She ate the fruit and she gave it to Adam. But God had not appointed Eve to be the head of the race. <laughs> God appointed Adam to be the head of the race. And I'm going out on a limb here, but theoretically, it seems to me, if Adam had not eaten the fruit, Eve would have died, but Adam wouldn't have died. He was the head of the race. Now, in the last part of verse 14, we're told that Adam is a type of Jesus Christ. He is a type of him who was to come. In other words, there are some really important similarities between Adam and Christ. Don't forget, understanding our relationship to Adam is going to help us grasp our relationship to Christ. So there are similarities, but there are, of course, tremendous differences. And we looked at, when we looked at this whole passage a few weeks ago, we saw that verses 15, 16, and 17 make up a parenthesis which shows us the differences. He, in those verses, he's talking about the contrasts between Adam and Christ. But first, we need to think about the similarities. So in what sense can we say that Adam is a type of Christ? Well, both were appointed by God to be the head of a race, the head of a humanity. All the essence of all the history of humanity, all the future of mankind and humanity, it's all tied up in these two men, Adam and Christ, the God-man. Let's see what God says about this in 1 Corinthians 15. Thus it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. He's quoting Genesis 2.7. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit, but it's not the spiritual that's first, but the natural and then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust. And as is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. Just as we've borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven." So there's also a second similarity. As the head of a race of mankind, humankind, each one represented all his descendants and passed on to all of them the effects of his action. Look once again at 1 Corinthians 15. He teaches the same truth there in verses 21 and 22. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. So in this sense, Adam is like Christ. Both Adam and Christ stand at the head of mankind. Adam was the head of all mankind. When he sinned, we shared in his guilt. Christ is the head of a new, for lack of a better word, a new species maybe of mankind, a new race of mankind. Neither of those words is accurate, I guess. A new stream of humanity, a new type of man. 
and all who will receive Christ will share in what he did when he lived a perfect life and died on the cross. As we're made guilty in Adam, we're made righteous in Jesus Christ. But notice Paul's very quick to point out that the contrast between Adam and Christ are really huge. They're overwhelming. He's going to spell those out in verses 15 through 17. First, we've got to grasp that while our relationship to Adam is physical and natural, our relationship to Christ is spiritual. Look one more time at that passage in 1 Corinthians 15 that we looked at earlier. Focus on the word spirit or spiritual here. Thus, thus it's written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. But it's not the spiritual that's first, but the natural and then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust. And as the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. Just as we've borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. Now, we have to be very careful here because to some people, the word spiritual somehow means something that's not quite real. But we're not talking about something not real, (laughs) We're not talking about some kind of mental idea. We're not talking about something imaginary, something in our imagination. Some people tend to think that way. They they see physical things, things they can see and touch. They say, oh, that's real. And then they think of spiritual things as, well, that's not quite real. That's imaginary or something. I don't, I don't know exactly how they would say it, but we got to get that kind of thinking out of our heads. You remember what God said through Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 4? He said, we look not to the things that are seen, that's the physical things, but to the things that are unseen, spiritual things. For the things that are seen, physical things, are transient. But the things that are unseen, spiritual things, are eternal. They're real. They're eternal. The things that we see and touch and feel and and experience with our senses, these are temporary, he says. They're passing away. The things that are not seen are eternal things. Our relationship to Christ is spiritual. But if we had to say that one of these relationships is somehow more real than the other, I hope you wouldn't say our relationship to Adam is more real than our relationship to Christ. Our relationship to Christ which should be classified as more real, wouldn't you say, than our relationship to Adam, even though it's not physical, it's spiritual. Both are very real. Well, there are more contrasts between Adam and Christ that he gives us in verses 15, 16, and 17. And Lord willing, we're going to look at those in more detail next time we're in Romans. But before we stop today, I want us to take just a moment to think just a little bit more about our spiritual relationship to Jesus. Now, we're going to be learning a lot more about this as time goes on. We're going to be learning a lot of truth about ourselves, truth about our identity in Christ, who we are in Christ as we work our way through Romans. But one truth we need to emphasize right now is the truth that we are fundamentally at the most basic level when we trust Jesus, we are no longer fundamentally mortal, fleshly human beings. We're new creatures. Do you remember what he said in 2 Corinthians 5? Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. God's not speaking metaphorically here. This is not figurative language. He's talking about reality. All things have become new. And so now, at the most fundamental level, we're spiritual beings. One of the most famous chapters in the Bible is chapter 3 of the Gospel of John. Remember what Jesus said to Nicodemus? That which is born of the flesh is what? Flesh. And that which is born of the Spirit is what? Spirit. A little bit farther in this letter to the Romans that Paul's writing, he says, You, however, listen to this, are not 
in the flesh, but in the spirit. If in fact the spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ doesn't belong to him. But when we trust Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit comes to live inside us. We've already seen back in verse 5, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts. Through whom? Through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. He wrote this to the Galatians, because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. It's something that was prophesied in the Old Testament by the prophet Ezekiel hundreds of years before Jesus came to this earth as a man. God said, I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. And God teaches us that when that happened, the old man, the old Steve, the Steve that was fleshly, he died. And at that same time, a new Steve, a spiritual Steve, began to live inside my body. A new person was born, a spiritual person, a righteous person, because Jesus gave me his righteousness as a gift that I did not deserve. It's not my righteousness, it's his. He puts the living Holy Spirit in us. And in our innermost being, we become new creations of God, new spirit beings. We're no longer in Adam. We're now in Christ. And this is a very exciting truth. God's done some amazing things to us and for us and in us, and he's doing amazing things through us. And it's important for us to be amazed at what he's done, to give him glory for what he's done and live like the new creations that we really are. Think about it. Let's pray. Father, you've done amazing things. And Lord, you've taught us amazing things in this passage of scripture that we're looking at. And we know we've got a lot more to learn. But Lord, thank you so much for giving us this fabulous truth about who we are in Christ. Lord, help us to internalize these things. Help us to learn these things really well. Help us to realize who we are in Christ. And may it result in our living like the new creatures we really are. Your sons, your daughters, your kids with eternal life. Lord, help us to realize that we are new spirit beings in the image of Jesus, just as we have carried the image of Adam, we carry the image of Christ. Lord, help us to, to live according to this fabulous truth. Help us to experience the victory, the excitement, the thrill, the joy, the peace, and the abundant living, and to give you great glory as we internalize these fabulous truths. Thank you so much for causing your man, the Apostle Paul, uh, to write these things for us, to put it in your word, to preserve it through the centuries. Thank you that we have this privilege of studying it. Teach us well. Help us to learn well. Help us to stay teachable. Help us to not fight or argue with you just because we can't understand things. We just want to be submissive children, learning and growing to be more like Jesus. In his name, amen.